0: to engage in those beautiful relationships of the holidays. Today we're going to uh, finish up a brief series that we've been in entitled The Unsettling Solution for Just About Everything. And uh, this series was uh, framed up by... um, Andy Stanley of North Point Church, and as he walked into his last week, he had this question, and I'm going to present this question to you. Now, uh, this question is going to have different adjectives in it. You may find yourself in this question uh, with one of these adjectives. Maybe not. If it's uh, not in there afterwards, you can sort of, you know, let me know or ask somebody else what they think about putting that adjective in there. And uh, it might feel a little awkward for you, though, if you don't find yourself represented in there. You may find yourself represented in there, what I say, whatever. But uh, here is the question. What do you call a group of people who are a lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful, porn-watching, tax-dodging, racist, jealous, judgmental, lonely, angry people who eat too much, who spend too much, who drink too much, who medicate too much, who worry too much, who smoke too much, who gather together because they believe Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light. What do you think? Why do you call a group of people like this? Do you know what you call them? You call them the church. Now, now you, you must have come here. Maybe you haven't been in church for a while and you figure out, I mean, am I going to feel at home? Am I going to be comfortable? Well, friends, I hope this helps you feel comfortable because that's who the church is. All those things, but we're needing light and we need more light and Jesus is the light. You see, the church is not an institution. The church is not a building, right? The church is a group of people. But that group of people are not perfect people. This is not a a showcase for perfect people. This is a hospital for sinners, as I sometimes say. And we, the church, need to own who we are and what God is doing in our life. And then you need to see yourself identified in that aspect of what God is doing. But you know with the world today and society there's a lot of complaints about the church. In fact, inside the church there's a lot of complaints about the church. I suppose I could go up and down the rows here and we'd all have our own little story about a church, a church, right? Well, I'm telling you what, and, and the churches I've been in and I've led, and the, I, I realize that this is true of all of us, and that I shouldn't expect perfection. But sometimes you, you sort of get this anxious, you say, "Well, the church should be different, or the church should do this, or the church should do that." And sometimes people say, "Well, the church, the church should take a stand. You know what I'm saying? Take a stand." To which you really sort of have to ask the question, "Well, what stand? Your stand, your friends' stand, what stand should we take? You see, we're a group of very diversified people that gather for a church, whether you've been in church a long time or you just sort of knew today. We're a very diversified group of people, and we're imperfect people. We do not agree on everything. In fact, we really only agree foremostly on two things. Two things. The first is that God sent His Son to save us from sin and to save us from ourselves. And the second is that God calls us to extend what He gave us to others. God sent his son to save the sinner and to establish his kingdom, his rule and reign in our hearts and lives. And then he's called us to turn that right back around and give it away to other people, this beautiful work that he can do in our heart and life. Jesus, you know, was asked to sum everything up in the whole Bible. And he said, well, you can sum it up in two things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love others, love your neighbors as yourself. The two dimensions, God saving us and then God calling us to extend what he's given to us to other people. And so we agree on that, even though there may be all kinds of other things that, that we don't necessarily agree on. And what we have that's been given to us, and what we are then to give to other people, we've been looking at in these weeks, and it's this word, grace. Grace, and we've defined grace as undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor. But this is sort of what grace is. Grace is the oil in the machine. The oil in the machine. You know, the first car I ever had, I ran out of oil. That did not work. The engine blew up. So it served me right that my oldest son, his first car, he did what? He ran it out of oil. In fact, uh, he was down here in college at APU. We were back in the Midwest still, and uh, we were headed here. And I remember him calling me, Dad, my car just caught fire on the 210, and I'm coming off a ramp down. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Car... And I got there. We raised the hood on that little Saturn, and I looked in there, and I shined a light, and I said, start it up, Ryan and I saw something move, and I realized I was looking into the crankshaft. You're not supposed to do that. Right, Mike? He had blown a hole in it. Why? He'd run it out of oil, just like I'd run my car out of oil. You'd think you would learn, right? Oil does what? All the moving parts, it lubricates them so they work well together the unsettling solution for almost anything is God's grace. And God's grace works in our relationships because we're imperfect one to another. We rub up against one another and we interact with one another. And if there's not grace, there's not oil that lubricates this beautiful thing called God's church or God's kingdom work here on this earth. And we are called to let grace abound richly in our life and in the lives of other people. Because we're imperfect. We're imperfect, but God has a plan, and God has a desire to see things happen, one with another. And the first thing is that God wants to bring His grace into your life. And as the popular Christmas carol we sing this time of year, Hark the Herald Angels says, God and sinner reconciled. God and sinner reconciled. God's grace, undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor comes because Christ came, died for us, was raised from the grave, and through him we can have the forgiveness of our sins if we choose to follow him and let him come into our life to be the leader. And regeneration happens, they call it, going from death to life, birth born not of the will of flesh nor the will of man but born of god or as it says later in john born again god and sinner reconciled grace is it active in your life have you received god's grace in your life and could it be that some of the solution you need to everything that's going on begins right here with letting god's grace come taking you as a sinner forgiving you, and making you whole. We're all in process. We're all imperfect. And that grace will take those of us who are not alike so that we can like one another and we can work with one another. God and sinner reconcile, but then, grace becomes amazing when we extend it to others. When we extend God's grace to others, things start to work in ways that like seem impossible. Like nobody could reconcile that relationship. Or, oh man, I, I just dread going to that party or going back to the family uh, for the holidays. It's going to be awkward with that person there. Well, that grace, that oil that we receive from God then begins to work its way as we interact with others, and it truly becomes amazing when it's extended to others. God's amazing grace to you this season is an invitation to be amazing to someone else. That list we went through there to begin with, not only can you identify yourself in that list, I bet you can identify some people really close around you on that list too. And they need God's amazing grace. And that amazing grace is going to be first experienced through you and your interactions with them. Do you know of anybody that needs God's amazing grace? It's an unsettling solution because we love to receive grace, right? We've talked about it. It's so refreshing to receive God's grace, but it's so doggone disturbing unsettling to have to extend God's grace to other people aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come to be right but he came to make things right Jesus came to reconcile sinner to God and reconcile person to person who is unreconciled in our world And as we know with Jesus, Jesus is sort of spot on with stuff. He doesn't mince words. If you study anything about Jesus, in fact, you can take your scriptures and just read story after story and conversation after conversation of Jesus. And you see what he was about, that he didn't come to to be right, but he came to make things right but he wasn't putting band-aids on things. He wasn't being superficial. He didn't come to set up some religion and some ritual. He came to bring new birth and transformation. And so when he was talking with people, he didn't mince words and he would cut to the quick. And there's this place uh, once was standing with some people where he, he just sort of cut to the quick. Jesus Jesus is a master communicator. And as a master communicator, he was, he was able to give a punch. You ever read scriptures sometimes and it just punches you? Well, can you imagine the word being flesh and walking amongst people? They were attracted by what he was saying, but every now and then, boom, he would just sort of give them a sucker punch into the face. And so as you hear what he's about to ask, a question he's about to ask, you know, get ready because, you know, it's, it's something that's possibly going to sucker punch you today. And here's the question. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Why why are you nitpicking about the little speck of dust? Look at that, you got a little speck of dust in there, but but you're ignoring this plank, or sometimes you can interpret it as a as a, a log or I remember like a two by four. You got a two by four just sort of coming out It's like dude who are you to be walking around and say hey, you got a little speck of sawdust over there when you got this big board this plank that's flowing from your eye who do you think you are why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and in, in your sister's eye and and in, in your mother's eye or your ex's wife I, I i don't know but get real look at it well we hear this question, and part of us goes, "Carrie, can't we talk on something a little bit nicer at Christmas time? Maybe we just talk on prayer or how to serve the church, be a children's volunteer, you know?" <laughs> really? Yeah, we're going there. But oftentimes, when we see this kind of straight-on question or statement of Jesus, and some of you have heard it before, um, we say to ourselves, "Well, why?" Why do, you, why do you call me out to look at the speck in my brother's eye? Because, preacher, I'm telling you something. It's not a speck of sawdust in their eye. It's not a speck. They're, they're a Democrat. <laughs> they're a Republican. They watch, I drove by their house, they watch CNN. Or they walk Fox News 24-7. They're a white politician. Oh my goodness, they're pro-choice. We're pro-life. And maybe it's not. It's something at that maybe seemingly superficial level. Maybe it's something that hits hard to your core. It's like, that's not a speck. My dad left my mom when I was eight years old and she raised us all by herself. And then, when he gets older and he gets sick, he comes back and he wants us to help him. That's not a speck of sawdust. And that's where we sit. And that's what we think. Crossed arms. He better not show up at our holiday this year. It's not a speck, we say to ourselves. So this doesn't really apply to me. Or if it's not that as an answer, you say this, I don't have a plank in my eye. Thank you very much. I sort of see the world as it really is. I've been around the block a few times. I know. And so there's not some big old two by four sticking out from my eyeball. There's no plank in my eye. Excuse me. You see, all these things that are a part of my life, they, they've groomed me. They really haven't affected me to have a plank in my eye, my upbringing, whatever it may have been, my environment that I've been around, that I was placed in, has, has, has made me wise unto things. The experiences I've had in life have, have groomed me and I've learned better. My education, got a decent amount of it. And I, I have health and some other issues that have happened to me, and so I, I, I know how it goes from there. Success, yeah. Failure, uh-huh. Insecurities, right. Opportunities, yep, they've been there. And my IQ or my EQ, and if you don't know what your EQ is, it's because maybe your IQ, I don't know. But uh, you need to understand this doesn't really apply to me because I don't have a plank in my own eye. So bug off, Jesus. Bug off, Pastor. I'm right for how I feel. Because it's not a speck in their eye. And I don't have a plank in my eye. Really? And so Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, how, Matthew 7, 4, how can you say to your brother or to your sister, your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, your mother, your sister, stepfather your neighbor your coworker, the person who took something from you or took her from you or took him from you how how can you say to them let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time all the time there is a plank in your own eye and here comes the punch you ready? You hypocrite. It's about time somebody calls out those church folks. You hypocrite, you may say. Well, this is Jesus saying it. You know, don't fire away at me. I'm just the messenger here today. But you hypocrite. Boom. Part of the reason I love Jesus He didn't mince words. He looked at them and he would look at us today. And he says, that speck, why are you calling that out when there's this plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. You hypocrite. You hypocrite, why do you go on and do that? Why do you continue to sit in the stew that you're in and complain and gossip? And throw out words of bitterness and resentment towards other people? You hypocrite. You sinner. You fall shorter. That's what it means. Missing the mark. You did it on purposer. Over and over again. So... Listen up, Jesus says, because Jesus, you know, the reason he's able to extend you grace and extend me grace is because he can go through this list and he knows us. He knows you and he still extends you, his Undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor by what he did on the cross and through the power of his resurrection. Jesus knows you thoroughly and he extended you grace. He knows your upbringing. Maybe it was good or it was bad. He was there. He knows that upbringing. He knows the environment that you were thrown into, you were forced into, or the environment you were pulled out of, or what was stolen from you. He knows every experience that you've had, good and bad. He knows all the uglies, all the sin, all the things you fell into, and all the unfortunate things that happened to you because of the sin of other people. He knows every experience. He knows the education that you received, or the education maybe you didn't receive. Now you're still trying to make up for it in life. He knows your health issues, the good health times and the health struggles you've had, or maybe the health struggles you currently have that are handicapping you, holding you back from the potential that you really desire to step out and and succeed with. He knows your success. And success does what? It can blind us. Success is great, but there's a whole other challenge that comes with success in life. He sees that success. He knows what it's done to you or it is doing to you and your failure, where you've fallen short, you've not measured up, you've given up maybe. He knows your insecurities, what you think about, and the privacy of your own mind when you would have dared say to anyone else what you're thinking, but you're insecure. He knows the opportunities that have been given to you, the ones you've excelled at and taken advantage of, and the ones you bombed. He knows your IQ and your EQ. Your ability mentally to grasp things or be able to connect and interact with people. He knows everything about you. You're not going to surprise Jesus. You ever have those moments and you pray, oh God, I need to tell you something. Do you think he goes, oh my goodness, I never knew. I had somebody call me this last week uh, from earlier years of my life and share some things with me. And I'm like, oh, it's heartbroken. But God knew. God's never surprised because he knows you. He knows you through and through, even if this is the first time you've walked in church for a long time. Don't get scared. Don't get spooked, not by us as a church, but don't get scared from God because he knows you. And he knows you and he still wants to extend to you his loving grace, his salvation poured over your life and poured over my life. You know, the apostle Paul He was a religious person, and he later came to place his faith in Christ. But the Apostle Paul called himself the greatest of all hypocrites. He says this in Romans 5 eight: But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, here's the interesting thing about this verse. The verb tense here is a very unique verb tense that has to do with the current, present kind of moment. Maybe you've never thought of this. As I was thinking back through it this week, it sort of gave me some unique insight and made me all, I don't know, excited inside. The Apostle Paul, when was he writing this? Do you know the Apostle Paul was a contemporary of Jesus? He was alive when Jesus was alive, but he did not know Jesus. And the Apostle Paul's saying, God demonstrates his own love for us, for me, in this while we were, while I was still sinning. When I was up north from from Jerusalem, I was sinning. And while I was sinning, Jesus was in Jerusalem dying for my sin simultaneously. Think about that. You see, we live 2,000 years after the Christ event. When Christ came, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. So we look back 2,000 years ago and we say, yeah, Jesus died for us. But here's Paul, and he's illuminated when he realizes he was the greatest hypocrite of all. Ended up persecuting Christians. Because he didn't think they were the the pure religious people. He was a, a person who kept all the law. He was religious of the religious, the religious elite. And God wakes him up. Jesus later causes Paul to go blind on a road as he's headed to a town called Damascus to persecute more Christians. And in that blindness, Peter... Paul calls out and he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. He, he recognized and understood as he wrote this, while I was still sinning up north, Jesus in that moment was dying for my sins. Friends, what God is doing In changing and redeeming your life, giving you grace, refreshing you, making you alive in him. New birth is not something past tense. It's present tense. Even here this morning, you came in at 10 o'clock. You hope to get out of here by 1130, right? Or before, but usually not with this pastor. And you're like, here and now moment. What Jesus did, what he demonstrated on the cross is powerful and effective Every single second of every day, of every year, of every decade, of every century and millennium. That's how powerful it is. So wherever you are this morning in your sin, in your imperfection of falling short, of being called out by, for the plank that's in your eye. May you know this morning that Jesus knows all about you. And he is dying for your sins. In the immediate present. Because his work 2,000 years ago is eternal. You can almost state it this way. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Knowing ahead of time the sins we would commit. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Knowing ahead of time the sins we would commit. And confess. And repeat And confess again. And repeat and confess again. Jesus died for us anyway. And that work on the cross is powerful and effective no matter where you're at this morning. Do you need God's grace? It's extended to you. It's unsettling because you don't deserve it. And others don't deserve it. But it's the solution for almost everything. You begin with God and sinner. sile. Amen. Amen. You're right. This is our problem, though. Planks. Get in the way. Of grace. And you and I can become more focused on our plank. Yep, we're focused on the specks of sawdust and more, and other people. But the planks in our own eye keep us from receiving the unsettling grace of God. Jesus said it better, but I'll say it shorter. You got planks? Got planks? What are your planks? What are your planks? What are your planks that are keeping you from experiencing the grace of God and then being able to give that grace to other people? You see, those planks trick us up. How many times have I met with someone? I've prayed with someone. I've counseled with someone. And they say, well, I've got to clean my act up first, and then maybe I'll come to church. Maybe then I'll seek God out. Friends, you can't clean your act up without Jesus. He's the one who's able to remove the planks and set you free. You got planks? Don't allow those planks to encumber your pursuit of knowing Jesus and experiencing His grace afresh and anew this season of your life in 2019. The more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, All the planks that I have. And it's not a once for all deal. It's an everyday confess. I end up repeating We confess again. The more I'm aware of God's grace in my life, that vertical, guess what it does? It empowers us for the horizontal. The less aware of what I am, the less aware I am of what he has yet to do in you. Become aware of the planks. Experience God's grace. And you will have the right focus for those that you have a hard time with. Those you have a hard time with that you can't quite understand. You know, it's said, and I believe this to be true, that we're hardest on those who sin in ways that we're not tempted. Let me say that again. We're hardest on those who sin in ways that we're not tempted. Well, I don't know what their problem is with that Alcohol. I know I'm problem with alcohol. That lying and that cheating and, 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 and that misery that they've fallen into, it's their own doings. See, we're picking the specks of sawdust out there. What's their problem? And we got this plank in our own eye. But if we realize our own plank, we maybe need to go back to that list we let off with today, right? We realize our own planks. And we're aware of those and what Christ is doing in our life Then the less aware I am of what he has yet to do, what God's yet to do in another person's life. Jesus, he didn't take sides. He didn't take sides with people. And our relationships are always up against that. Well, whose side are you on? You know what he did to me? You know what she did to me? Right? I can't believe what my boss did. Right? We go on and on taking sides. Jesus does not take sides with his grace because his grace is abundant for all people. But Jesus, what he did was he came alongside. He came alongside to bring the healing through his grace so that that grace then could be extended to other people. Why? Because Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. Full on grace full on truth and so i have another question to ask you this morning i have to go there so you're ready what are you full of what are you full of and what are you full of is it maybe another way to put it is is when someone comes up and rubs you the wrong way or somebody does something wrong to you what spills out of your cup does grace spill out of your cup Friends, I could probably ask you some of the people you admire the most in life, and you would probably work your way around to saying that person is, well, they're, they're just full of grace. They're full of love. Do you want to be one of those people? Or when people bump up against you, does resentment and bitterness and indifference and antagonism, right, accusation, does that what comes out? What's inside? What's in this interior life? You see, the grace of God as you experience it more and understand what He's done and pulling the planks out and continues to pull the planks out of your life. He fills you up with His love and His grace. You are truly regenerated. You are born again, the one who is full of grace and full of truth, full on truth, full on grace. That becomes a part of your life so then, then when you interact with others on a horizontal level and you bump up against them, you spill out grace. And I don't know about you. I've been working with this thought on... Finishing today up some, and I'm like, Jesus, may I be one of those people every week working on you filling me up with your grace. But you don't know what they did. You don't. You, it's not a speck of sawdust. friends. That's not your problem. That's not your worry. You weren't built as a human being to carry on the judgment and the justice of the world. That's God's deal. You release it. You let him go. In fact, you know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is releasing the other person from the debt you think that they owe you. Let it go. You forgive. You can't forget. I understand that. But you forgive. You release them of the debt you owe because it's going to eat you up inside. And what you'll be full of is not love and grace. All of us know the love and grace people have gotten older. And we also know people that are bittered and cynical and jaded. And we have to say, no, not me. I don't want to go there. God, full of grace, full of truth. They're yours. I forgive them. I release them of some burden and debt. And it's not easy, friends. It's not. It's not been easy in my life and still isn't easy when I get offended and people hurt me or I'm reminded how people hurt me. What are you full of? Here's another question, though. It comes to us corporately. What are we full of? When someone asks you what church do you go to, and you tell them, do they recognize, or maybe if they've heard of us, do they think, oh, that's a grace-filled church. I can show up there in any way whatsoever and bring whoever. They're just real and transparent. They're full of grace and God's love. They're, they're full on grace, but they're also full on truth we're not going to mince words. Jesus didn't mince words. His scripture's true and we're going to be scripturally, you know, attached to everything. But friends, I would hope that we if we're bumped up against as a church body during the course of a week that we would be full of full of grace. The church, friends, is most appealing when grace is most apparent. Do you believe that to be true? Wow. I never knew people like that existed in this cynical, sarcastic, double-minded, dog-fighting world. Wow. Grace is attractive. Let it be born in you and let it be extended to others. And may we as a church, especially this season, I would hope when you invite somebody for next week or for Christmas Eve service, that they would come and they would find us as a church that's full of grace and truth, that it's attractive. And it's not, hmm, you see who's here. Do you know what they did? No. We are all imperfect people being saved by God's grace. So this Christmas... Let's give someone what they don't expect and they don't necessarily deserve. Let's give them the unsettling solution of God's grace. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, in these moments as we've been on this journey, I pray your blessing across this room. That if there's anybody here who has never received or experienced your grace, that they would do so. Lord, that plank cannot be removed out of our own eye without your power and your strength through the work you brought when you entered into this world and you're obedient to the cross, and the power of the resurrection. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed around here, I'm just going to give a simple opportunity for you to pray to receive God's grace today if you've never crossed that line of faith and become a Jesus follower. You don't clean your act up. You just come and say, I need grace. I'm a sinner. God demonstrated his own love towards us in this while we were yet still sinning. He died for us. pray this simple thought with me and it's not the words, it's the disposition of your heart. It's actually words we included in the prayer of last week. Heavenly Father, I fall short every day. I need what I don't deserve to be forgiven of my sin and restored to you. I believe Jesus' death on my behalf accomplished both. And I repent of my sin. I turn to follow you. I place my faith in you, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord. And from this day forward, as you enable, I will choose to follow you. And Jesus says, receive my grace.